In your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. You know, one of the one of the strange, well, I, I don't know if it's strange, but one of the things about being a pastor and praying and trying to prepare sermons and different things and you know, I, I, I don't take it for granted. I, I spend a lot of time in prayer about every every message that I preach. But <clears throat> the message this morning really is not a Father's Day specific message, if you would. But it is what every father should practice. Does that make sense? You know, it's not. It's not. A lot of times, I'll I'll preach. You know, f- f- five things a, mo- a mother should do on Mother's Day, or you know, five things a father should do on Father's Day. That, you know, typically, but this is more of a a general type message. But it it is something that every father, every believer needs in their lives. So in that context, it is a Father's Day message. So uh, <clears throat> I trust it'll be a blessing to you. Before moving to northern Nevada, uh, almost, well, uh, 11 and a half years ago, um, I worked as the facilities manager at the college that I went to, Ambassador Baptist College. <clears throat> I worked there for, uh, well, I went to school there for, what, a total of seven or eight years or something, but the last five years, I was the facilities manager there, and uh, while I was the facilities manager, I negotiated and purchased a building that was adjacent to our campus, uh, and this is a picture of the building. Now, <clears throat> this building, yeah, this is really a black and white picture that somebody colorized, okay, so... Uh, this picture was, as you can tell by the vehicles in it, uh, was taken probably in the 50s sometime. Um, but our, this, the, 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 the buildings to the left are no longer there. But the building behind there uh, is, is the, the campus of, of the college. So the, the college is actually behind this building. And to the right of it, we shared a common parking area with this building. So anyway, I negotiated and purchased this building, and <clears throat> needless to say, it was built in the 30s. Uh, we, we have documents that show that this building was in existence in 1932. So the building was built prior to 1932. So needless to say, uh, it was not up to code. Uh, <laughs> So when we bought it, we literally had to gut the entire thing and, and, and start from, from scratch, basically. Basically, it was just a shell. Um, uh, anyway, <clears throat> the, the plan for the building and what we had, we had purchased it and put into to, to a, a plan that it would house a student activity center, bookstore, coffee shop, and a library. Um, so... So that was the plan for the building. <clears throat> well, uh, like most Christian colleges, uh, money is always an issue. So we 
we moved forward with the plan, but we never had the funds to actually put those plans into place, if that makes sense. One day I got a call from the president of the college, and he, and he called me into his office, and we sat down, and he said, he said, Rick, if, if money was no problem, could you get phase one of this building done by the board of directors meeting? Well, I about passed out because that was like in six weeks. Now, those of you that understand construction, that you can't do nothing in six weeks. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and so, so I sat there in his office and I said this to him. If God is in it, we can do it. And he said, well, God's in it. Get started. I did. I, I walked down there just thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, what did I just say? So I called my staff together. We we had this we had a big meeting and and I explained everything that just that had just taken place in the president's office. And every one of my staff members, and these are all construction guys, you know, you know, most well, most of them were, and um, and unanimously they said they said, uh, Rick, you're crazy. We can't do it. And I looked at my staff and I said. If God's in it, we can do it. God can do it. We cannot, but God can. Well, needless to say, we, we took off and we started from that moment on, we started working 12, 14-hour days and I started ordering materials and things happened. And I have another picture for you. <clears throat> this was the building upon com- completion. We got, uh, you can see the parking lot to the, to the right uh, that we shared with this building. Um, but we got the certificate of occupancy the afternoon, the late afternoon, the day before the board meeting. Now, I say this, I, I, I'm telling you this story not to exalt myself in any way, shape, or form but in every way, shape, or form to exalt Jesus Christ. Because he did it. He did the impossible. Because those of you that know anything about construction know that nothing ever goes the way you plan it to. Nothing. But this entire project, phase one of the project, went absolutely without a hitch. Everything that we ordered came in exactly when it was supposed to, which never happens. The inspections, everything just just happened the way it was supposed to. Now, how could I have been so confident when the president told me six weeks prior that he wanted phase one of this project done. How, how could I be so confident to say, yes, we can do it? Was it faith? Not really. It is something that we talked about last week, and that is confident expectation. Confident 
expectation. Because I say that, I say that because this, and many of you, most of you know that I was a missionary before I was a pastor, and I used to travel around the world and, um, and build buildings for missionaries and, and all around the world. And, and prior to this project, I had seen God do miraculous things around the world. In, th- in three weeks, I saw God transform a, a house into a youth training center in, in the Ukraine. And after the earthquake in, in, in Japan, in the early 90s, I saw God raise up a Bible college that had been absolutely destroyed by the earthquake. I saw a hospital raised in the jungles of Haiti. I saw a Bible college in the jungles of Papua New Guinea that has now trained hundreds of national pastors that have absolutely evangelized the nation of New Guinea. I've seen the impossible over and over. So when the <clears throat> so when the president asked me, "Can it be done?" I could say, "If God's in it, yes." God had showed Himself strong in my life so many times. that I have confident expectation that God can do the impossible. The title of my message this morning is <clears throat> Confident Expectation. And we talked about it some last week, and I just, I just felt the need to, to expound on that a little bit more because this is Father's Day. And if there's ever been a day that we need fathers, well, we need Christians today to be confident in the expectation that God can do the impossible it is today. If you look at this book, if you read this book, this book tells you as parents and fathers to raise your children in in, in a godly home and you look around in the, in the world that we live and you say it's impossible. And I can tell you it is not impossible. It may be hard, but it's not impossible. Because if God says that you need to have a godly home, then guess what? You can do it. How can we uh, have the expectation or the confidence that Christ will someday take you to heaven when you die because of the promises that are fulfilled in this book. How can we have the confidence that God can take care of us in this incredibly turbulent time? It's that confident expectation that God has fulfilled His promises in your life over and over and over. I've had people ask me, say, say, Rick, how can you have such confidence? It's really easy. Because I have stepped out in faith so many times and say, okay, God, have your way. And because of that, God has shown. So now for me to step out in faith to do something that is impossible, is it, is it hard? Yeah, it's hard. But I usually don't hesitate. 
Why? Because he has shown himself strong so many times. And he can do the same for you. In 1 John chapter 5 and verses 13 and 14, it says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, then, that if we ask anything according to what? His will. Why did I tell the president of the college, hey, if God's in it, it'll happen? Because it was in his will. Not my will, not the president's will, but God's will. He heareth us. Confident expectation. This morning is my, my wife was teaching junior church. She was talking about Caleb and, and, and um, Joshua when they, when they went into the promised land to spy out the promised land. How many, how many uh, spies went with them? Talk to me. How, how many went? Twelve. Twelve spies went. Two came back with a positive report. And what happened to the other ten? They were all negative Nellies, right? And, and it cost the nation of Israel 40 years in the wilderness. But the thing that has, has, has been the mantra, if you would, for Caleb and Joshua was their confident expectation that God could conquer the giants. Why? Because they had already seen God part the Red Sea. They'd already seen God do miracle after miracle after miracle. They were confident. Hey, it's just, they're just giants. Who's, this is God we're talking about. They had that confident expectation because they had seen what God had already done. Philippians chapter 19. Oh, excuse me, chapter 1. Okay. <laughs> My dyslexia, I love it. One of the guys at work the other day asked me about it, and I said, you know, having the dyslexia is so much fun. You get to experience things all over again. Or was that Alzheimer's? Yeah, okay. <laughs> my, wife, my wife calls it Alzheimer's. I don't know. Anyway, I just, I love it. I can watch a movie over and over and over. It's, it's great. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that <clears throat> with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be manifest in my body, whether it be my life or by death. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. I do ask that you would guide and direct, that you would help us to be more like you in everything that we say and do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I want to give you two resources this morning in verse 19. And both of these resources are without us. Okay, they, they, they are not 
They're not in us. They come from without. Let's look at verse 19 again. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through what? Your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What is the Spirit of Jesus Christ? That's the Holy Spirit. So point number one is uh, <clears throat> this morning is two strengthening resources. Two strengthening resources. And again, these two resources come from without us. And, and letter A is the prayers of others. The prayers of others. I cannot overemphasize the importance of praying for one another. I, I just can't. Paul here acknowledges in verse 19 his gratitude for the people praying for him. The other day, I <clears throat> I got a text from a friend of mine, and he it was just a short text, but basically I, I don't remember exactly what he but basically he said, Hey, just want to let you know I'm praying for you. Boy, that just meant the world to me. I, 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 you know, I, I was just, I, it was in the middle of a, of, a, of a busy time of the day and, and, and I just had a lot going on and, and it was just like, it was, a, it was, what it was really in my life at the, at the moment, it was a refocusing, if you would, of my priorities at that moment because I was allowing myself to get caught away with some other things and God used my, the prayer of my friend to bring me back where I needed to be. And I praise God for that. Never underestimate the prayers <clears throat> that you pray for others and that they pray for you. On Wednesday night, we, we get together and we, we have a, a Bible study and a prayer time. And why is that? Now, now, now let me ask you a question. And this is, this is a loaded question and you'll know what the answer is. But what is more important on Wednesday night? The Bible study portion of Wednesday night or the prayer time? The prayer time. But oftentimes it's the time it's the time that we spend in prayer that we tend to oh what's the word? Um huh? Yeah, we, we tend to sacrifice it sometimes or neglect it. I, I said it Wednesday night, in fact, that I believe my this is my own personal conviction just from the studying and, and all that I've done, is that Prayer is the greatest tool that God's given us, but it's also the most neglected tool that God's given us. We as believers don't pray enough. And we especially fail often to pray for one another. And here Paul is acknowledging the fact that he appreciates the prayers of of the, the, the brethren in the, in the church of Philippi. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, I exhort therefore that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for what? All men. Paul said it again uh, at, at, the, at the first part of this, of this chapter here in, in verses 3 and 4. It says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you, 
all making request with joy. See, what, what is Paul saying? Not only, not only do I pray for you, but I joy in my prayers. For, it, he looks forward to it. it. It is a time that he enjoys spending time praying for the, the believers at Philippi. But, but in, in our lifestyle today, uh, 21st century America, oftentimes, you know, what do we do? We get up in the morning and we're like, oh, man. I gotta, I gotta read my Bible and pray before I go to work. I am so tired. That's not Paul. Paul's excited about getting, the, getting the opportunity to pray for others. And that should be our, our, our hearts as well. Luke chapter 18 and verse one it says, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought to always to pray. And not to faint. Don't give up. I I I, I talked to uh, someone recently, <clears throat> and uh, they sent me a text, and they said, Pastor, I'm I'm really struggling. So okay, what's going on? And he's he he says, Well, he says I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and God God's not answered my prayer, so I, I just quit praying. Well, when you say you prayed and prayed and prayed, okay. How many times did you really pray? And oftentimes the answer is, well, two or three. You know what? Don't quit. Don't quit. It's like it's like buying a brand new car and parking it in the garage and walking away and leaving it. If you're going to do that, give it to me, okay? <laughs> but seriously, we, we have the tool of prayer that we don't use. And we desperately need it. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Have you, have you ever prayed and not said a word? I have. I, I, there's been many times that my heart has either been so heavy or whatever's been going on in my life that I, I, I didn't know what to say. And I've just got on my knees and I've said, God, help. Two strengthening resources. The prayers of others. And then B, the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, on Wednesday night, we are doing an in-depth study on the, on the Holy Spirit. I said Wednesday that prayer is the number one uh, unused tool that God gives us. And I believe, personally, my conviction is that the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is the second most unused tool that we have that, that we don't use. Mainly because we're just ignorant of what the what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives, and I want to very quickly I want to give you four things, and this is just a this is just a snippet, okay? Start coming on Wednesday, and you'll get a whole lot more, okay? But number one, uh, <clears throat> the power to know what's best. God knows what is best for us. Get a hold of that. 
God knows what is best for us. In Luke chapter 11, verses 11 and 13. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that uh, is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would you give you, give, uh, uh, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for a, uh, an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? If he then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? You know, what, what, is, what is he saying here? Basically, what he's saying here is, hey, look, if we as human beings know how to correctly and properly raise our children, which hopefully we do, then shouldn't God be able to do even better than you can? I mean, it's kind of a, a loaded, but <clears throat> uh, um, what's the word? Uh, uh, understood answer to that question. God is in control, and he knows what's best for you. Number two, the power to strengthen. The Holy Spirit has the power to strengthen. In Judges chapter 16, verse, verse 28, it says, And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee. Only this once, O God, that I might be <clears throat> uh, at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Even Samson... The, the, was was did did Samson make any mistakes? <laughs> yeah, he made one or two. Okay, but even Samson, after making mistake after mistake after mistake, understood where his power comes from. But way too often, what do we do? We we try to depend on us. Again, one of the most unused tools in your tool bag, I believe, is the Holy Spirit. And we just we we depend on ourselves way too much. Psalm chapter 31 and verse 24. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all, all ye that hope in the Lord. Number one, the power to know what is best. Number two, the power to strengthen. Number three, and this is an important one, the power to comfort. The power to comfort. In John chapter 14 and verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, shall teach you all things and bring all things to, to your remembrance, whatsoever things I have said unto you. How can we have peace in our lives in the midst of this crazy world? It's the Spirit of God. He can do it. How can we have confidence in the attempt of the, doing the impossible? You know, during that project that I talked about earlier at the beginning, uh, there were a lot of sleepless nights. Why? Because I was fretting... <clears throat> you know, I, 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 I'm not perfect, okay? Please trust me. Those of you that know me can absolutely testify to that. 
But I would lay in bed sometimes worrying about, oh man, if, what, if, what if that shipment doesn't get here? Or what if, you know, what if the supplier runs out of this? Or what, blah, blah, blah. What if we don't get the inspection? You know, what if the, the, you know, the inspector doesn't like, you know, you know and, and, and all of these things over and over and over in our head. Why? Because I was not giving it all to God. See, we're, we're human. We, we tend to do that. But the Holy Spirit is there to comfort us. How can we have the courage to get out of bed in the morning sometimes? Have you ever just laid in bed thinking, I don't even want to get up? Because you know you know what that day holds for you. And you, you don't even want to get up. You don't, you don't want anything to do with that day. How can we have the courage to do that? It's called the, the, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the confident expectation that God is ultimately in control. John chapter 14 and verse 26. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you can explain it, then God's not in it. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. But if you can explain it, God's probably in it. Number four. Not only the power to know what's best, the power to strengthen, the power to comfort, but the power to guide. The power to guide. In John chapter 16 and verse 13, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. And He will show you things to come. The power to guide. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to guide us through life, guide us through our decision-making. How often do we face challenges in our lives and we, we, we fail to pray and ask God to direct us and guide us? And we go off of our own experiences, our own uh, uh, thoughts and, and and research and so on and so forth. Now, you know, my my wife is a is an incredible person in this in this context. She she doesn't buy or do anything without totally researching it. Absolutely drives me nuts. You know, I, I I'm I'm like just buy it. No 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 no. I, I got to go home and do some research. You know, okay, sweetie. All right. We'll come back. Why? We need the Spirit of God to guide us through life. And I, 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 I tease her. I tease her all the time about this. But I, I have to say this. Part of the reason she's like that is because she wants to pray about it. And she wants to, to make right decisions and allow God to guide her where she needs to go. And I appreciate that because I get, our, I get us into more trouble than she does. How can we have confident expectations in serving him? When we step out in faith and say, okay, God, because of the things you've shown me in my life in the past, I can trust you into the future. 
Number one, two strengthening resources in verse 9. And then number two, and, and very quickly here, I'll be done. Two sobering responsibilities. Two sobering responsibilities. I don't know if you picked up on it when we read verse 20, but let's read verse 20 again. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be manifest in my body, whether it be by life or by death. In verse 20 generates two questions that every believer should have to answer. The first question is, would Jesus be pleased with me if he returned? One of the things I learned very, very early on in my in my Christian life, when I got saved uh, almost 40 years ago. Well, let's see, what's the date? Today? Three days. Three days will be my spiritual birthday. I'll be 40 years old in three days. Praise the Lord for that. How about that? Um, uh, <clears throat> now I just got off. To, oh, um, one of the things I learned very early on was that a friend of mine challenged me because I, I, I was always asking questions. So, well, what about this? And what about this? And finally he said, look, he said, look, Rick, if, if the activity that you want to do, if the Lord comes back while you were in the midst of that activity, would you be embarrassed or would you say, okay, Jesus, you, do you want to come and do this with me? And, and and I'll tell you what that that was a sobering thought for me because oftentimes the questions that we ask and we say well what's wrong with this activity what's wrong with this movie what's wrong with this you fill in the blank it doesn't really matter that's the wrong question the the the, the proper question should be not what's wrong with it, but what is right with it. See, what does Paul say in verse 20? He says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. He doesn't want to be, he doesn't want, nothing in his life does he want to, to, to bring shame or, or to himself or to the Lord. Number question number one that we should all ask ourselves when Jesus, uh, uh, if Jesus were to return, would he be pleased with me? Number two, will Jesus be pleased with me when I die? You know what happens when we die? We're going to go to heaven if you're saved. If, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to go to heaven. But what, what does the Bible say is going to happen to every believer? We're going to give an account, will we not? We're going, to, we're going to give an account for everything that we say, do, and think. And what is Paul saying here? Paul's saying, I want to be totally accountable for everything that I say and do. In 2 Timothy 
chapter 4 and verse 7, he put it this way. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul knew in 2 Timothy when he wrote this that his life would be ending soon. A very dear friend of mine, his name's Billy Abbott. None of you know him. Well, Ashley knows him, but uh, none of you know Billy Abbott. He went to school with me. Billy uh, was the director of a Christian camp in Georgia. Uh, and and then when camp season was not in, uh, he was a tra- he was an itinerant uh, uh, evangelist. How old was he? Fifty one years old. Two weeks ago, dropped over dead. Boom. Heart attack. Fifty one years old. I couldn't see it, but Melanie was able to see uh, at least part of the the, the service. And it was an incredible the impact that he had in the lives of so many people. See, Billy lived like Paul. Even though he was only 51 years old, when he died, the testimony that he left left behind was, was this verse. That ought to be the goal of every believer alive today. How can we have confident expectation to do the impossible? How can we have confident expectation because of what God's done for us in the past? He, God has proven himself in our lives over and over and over. Fathers, how can, how can you as a father raise a godly child in a, in a world that's, that literally seems to be spinning out of control? Because of confident expectation that God is in control, not you. I praise God for that. How can we muddle our way through this thing we call life. The confident expectation of the things that God has done. When God directed my wife and I to move to northern Nevada to start Grace Baptist Church, personally, I thought God was crazy. That's why we named it Grace Baptist Church. Because we, we decided that if God's going to use us to do this, it'd be his grace, not ours. But you know what? We never questioned because we knew that God was in it to do the impossible. I don't know why. I I think I know why, but I don't know for sure. I don't know why God had me share this specific message today. I think I know why. I think it's because there's at least one person here this morning that God is challenging you in your life to do something. I don't know who it is. 
but I'm confident that there's someone that God is challenging you to do something in your life. And for whatever reason, you may be scared, hesitant. I mean, you fill in the blank, doesn't matter. But let me tell you something. If God's in it, you can do it. Why? Because I've seen God do the impossible. Over and over and over. And he can do it again. So have the confidence and let God take control of your life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day.